Greetings and welcome to episode number 444, a nice round number of Holy Crap It Sports on a slightly cloudy day at Atlanta, GA. It is May 31st, already almost, well, it's summer. The unofficial beginning was over the weekend. Hope everybody had a great Memorial Day weekend and stayed safe. It was great seeing the family, eating hot dogs and cake. My great niece's uh, one-year-old birthday. First girl in the family in 60 years. Can you imagine how spoiled she's going to be? Anyway, uh, boy, she destroyed that cake yesterday. As a cake lover, it's kind of hard to watch someone do that, but it's her day. She can do what she wants. Anyway, hope everybody had a great weekend and getting ready for the week here. It's absolutely gorgeous. Last night, I went out on the balcony about 9 o'clock, and it was dead silent. Nobody driving anywhere. No one. It was like late Christmas Eve. You notice that one of the quietest times of the year is late Christmas Eve, and last night, no fireworks, nobody on the road, just nice and peaceful. And then I wake up to the leaf blowers and my singing delivery man. I got a guy who sings. Last week it was Prince. I don't know what he was singing this morning. But it's kind of cool to wake up to a guy singing underneath your window that he's actually enjoying his job. There he is delivering foodstuffs to restaurants and he's enjoying life and he's singing and that's nice to see. But anyway, it's like a movie or something. But anyway, let's get started. If you want to write me, Pete Davis one at yahoo.com. If you'd like to, like, say, sponsor the show. If you'd like to, uh, let's see, follow me on Twitter, Pete Davis one It's a great follow. And let's see, if uh, you want to sponsor the show, a cheeseburger month, patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Just look up Holy Crap at Sports. And as always, T-shirts, Kimmer Show and Holy Crap at Sports, Drink Up Shriners, whatever you like. They'll engrave it on anything, farmhouseprintingco.com, T-shirts coffee mugs, thermoses, a very special thermos for you, all kinds of good stuff there with laser engraving they got there at farmhouseprintingco.com. Headlines for Tuesday, May 31st of 2022. Uh, The SEC spring meetings begin today down in Destin, Florida. Not a bad place to have a meeting. And what happens there could change the landscape of college football forever. And I'll talk about it right now before we get into the rest of the headlines. Um, First of all, Jimbo and Saban in the same room, that should be fun. And sitting at the same table, that should be fun. Uh, if I was them, see, if you're the SEC, you can't put them on opposite ends. That just brings attention to it. What you have to do, and you know Greg Sankey, the commissioners, already set these boys down and said enough is enough. But uh, they got to be at least three coaches apart. I'd put some of the younger coaches in between them, too. I'd put, you know, Kiffin and Heupel and some of the younger guys, Napier. So in case Jimbo does a bull rush at Saban, that there's somebody that can maybe hold him back. And like I said, you know, and that's a nice fight because Jimbo's bigger, faster, younger, stronger, but Saban is wiry and he's meaner. And I always say that if I'm ever going to get in a fight, the first thing I'm going to say is, okay, you might, you might beat me, but I'm going to focus my entire being on your right knee and you will never walk the same again. So just remember that you asked for this. Sorry, a little Tom Cruise there. Anyway, uh, what the hell is I talking about? Anyway, the SEC may decide to go out on their own. I don't think that's what will happen because that would be very bad for college football. You have to at least have the Big Ten and the ACC involved. Uh, I don't think the Big 12 is going to mean all that much once Texas and Oklahoma move to the SEC. And I don't know what they're doing out on the Pacific Coast. Uh, Outside of Southern Cal, I don't know if they're going to play any more football out there because Oregon just lost another coach and who, they keep saying Washington's going to be a power, but they never do. They're too busy, sh- you know, shooting each other, I guess. But uh, Southern Cal could be the power out there. And I don't see anybody else anywhere close to them. Uh, BYU maybe, or Utah, give them a run for their money. 
Who else is there out there? I mean, seriously, UCLA? Eh, maybe give them be a thorn in their side, but that's, that's all. Uh, the Braves dry up in the desert heat and have the Mets already sewn up the National League East. Uh, the most aptly named pitcher ever. I guess baseball is yet to get the message that virtue signaling douchebags forcing their political opinions down our throats makes fans stay the F away from baseball. A former Georgia player announces where he'll be playing next season. And remember that Virginia Tech football player who killed the guy that he thought was a girl he had sex with? Well, about that. Uh, former pitcher Tommy John almost dies from the China virus and bad doctors. Another car accident has killed yet another NFL player. What is up the last few months with NFL players in car accidents, usually high speed and alcohol and drugs involved, and they either kill somebody else or kill themselves? Well, it's, it's happened again. And the NFL needs to start doing something about this. I don't know what they can do, but they need to start addressing it. And an Arkansas broadcaster in hot water for saying the truth. And holy shnikey, Nick Castellanos has done it again. If you're wondering, well, if you've been following Nick's career, he has a habit of doing something every time the broadcasters are talking about something important. And he's done it again, and it's pretty funny. So we'll get right to it here. The Braves lose their first game of this series in Arizona Monday night, 6-2. to two. Their horrendous defense led to several runs and spoiled the starting debut of Spencer Strider, who still pitched four and a third effective innings as his teammates let him down in the field. Marcelo Zuna, who plays left field like old people make love, slow and sloppy, slid for a ball that he could have easily caught if he just kept running. I guess that was too hard. Uh, that led to a three-run homer. Then Matt Olson dropped a throw from Dansby Swanson. That's weird. That should have been the third out, and more runs scored. At least the Mississippi masher, Austin Riley, is still hot. His fourth homer in those last five days. Austin now has 12 dingers. But once again, no one hits with men in scoring position on the Atlanta team. They were 0 for 10 and left eight runners stranded. They're now almost 10 games behind the Mets in the NL East, and it's not even June. They're nine and a half back. Okay, it's May 31st. The Metropolitans are on a four-game winning streak, the first one this season, after destroying the Nationals. And by the way, Juan Soto, who we've been told is the greatest hitter of all time, is now something like 3 of 40 with runners in scoring position. And the way he looks like he's already had enough of losing, expect Juan to be Juan gone if Washington's rebuild falters. But back to the Braves, who just can't get anything going except in spurts. The offense just disappears. The Mets are the oldest team in baseball, and injuries could play a huge part as the season goes on, but they've already weathered injuries to DeGrom and Scherzer and McGill and Conforto, and every night it's someone else stepping up. If the Bravos could just stay close, as the season goes on, the Mets might wilt. But it looks more and more like Atlanta will be playing for second place if they don't heat up in June. Charlie Morton on the mound tonight against the Diamondbacks, so we'll see. I was listening to the Red Sox game. Uh, they were getting pounded by the Orioles last night. And the Bosox radio guys were talking about Giants manager Gabe Kapler and his virtue signaling stunt of not coming out for the national anthem because he's upset with America. And the Boston guys, who I love, but they're like defending him and agreeing with him and even saying that uh, the Red Sox manager agrees with him and, and several managers agree with what Kapler is doing. So let me get this straight. Taking your frustration out on the anthem and disrespecting it right here at Memorial Day is the answer? It seems even that was too much for the likes of Kapler, who drug his tail out for the anthem yesterday. Not even he could disrespect the fallen troops on Memorial Day. But just as sports was pulling its head out of its woke ass and getting back to normal, this clown starts playing to a San Francisco audience. 
And the Boston broadcaster was saying, as I said earlier, a lot of people around baseball agree with what he's doing. So, okay, boys, you start disrespecting the national anthem too, and we'll all find something else to do this summer. Just look what we've done to Disney. So keep it up. So my question is, Gabe, just what is it going to take for you to drag your whiny butt back onto the field for the anthem besides Memorial Day? National gun legislation? Banning all guns? Like Canada is trying to do? Remove the Second Amendment? Good luck with that. How long will you virtue signal? Gabe Kapler has every right to his opinion, but stomping your feet like a child and taking it down on the anthem, a time when we should all band together to be one and make things better, is a childish act meant to bring focus not on your cause, but on you Gabe Kapler. That's just me. And you know what? He already thinks he's the smartest guy in the room. How many championships have you got, Gabe? You were fired where? Philadelphia? You went to San Francisco? You had one great year last year. And uh, doing, he's doing better than I thought he would. But uh, now it seems to be all about him. Oh, I'm, winning just isn't enough. It's going to be, I got to be about social causes too. I got to be an activist. Okay, fine. And I don't have to watch or listen to you if you're doing it. That's my opinion. We welcome yours. I was watching a game the other night, and I forget which team it was, but the pitcher's name was Junk, J-U-N-K. I wonder what he throws. What, could he be a junk ball pitcher? Anyway. Uh, the Pirates broadcaster said that the Padres has been Robinson Cano is likely heading for the Hall of Fame. Right. Robinson Cano will be in the Hall of Fame when he's there visiting King Griffey Jr.'s plaque. He will forever be remembered as the first pitcher to return to the big leagues. Who am I talking about? Tommy John, following what would prove to be a groundbreaking operation. And on June 3rd, in a few days, in a private ceremony at the Garden of the Smithsonian Castle in D.C., Tommy John will present his original cast, signed by his 1974 Dodgers, Vin Scully, and surgeon Dr. Frank Job, to the secretary of the Smithsonian, Lonnie Bunch. Uh, he said the surgery itself brought me back so I could play baseball again, which is what I'd wanted to do since I was a small boy. Dr. Job gave me a one in a hundred chance, and his thing was, what are you going to do when this doesn't work? How are you going to take care of your family? I don't want you to think that you're going to be going out there and playing baseball again. You probably won't, so be thinking about that. And I told him, Dr. Job, if you do your job, which is put me back together, I will more than do my job, and that is rehabilitate. I told him it takes one year, it'll take one year. If it takes two years, it'll take two. If it takes three, it'll take three. I'll do whatever it takes for me to get back and pitch Major League Baseball again. Well, Tommy John was already 31, and that was long in the tooth back then. Okay? He uh, took a year and a half to rehab to come back in 1976. Kept pitching until he was 46 years old. Following the Tommy John surgery, he won 164 games and finished with just 12 shy of 300. But Tommy John's greatest comeback is the one he's living right now. He says, I'm lucky to be alive, talking to the New York Post. The China virus has stricken him and his wife, Cheryl, so he could barely walk when they got back to their home in La Quinta, California, December 13th of 2020. I don't know how I got him in the house, but I did, Cheryl said. The morning of the 13th, he tried to stand up and he fell and he sliced his entire forehead open. I was trying to get him up because he was wedged between our bed and a dresser. I went out to the garage to get a baseball bat. I said, here, hang on to this and I'll pull you up. Well, I couldn't get him up and 911 said, leave him, don't move him. But when the ambulance came, they took one look at the baseball bat and the bloody hit on the head and said, are you in a domestic violence relationship? <laughs> they thought she had cold cocked him in the head. 
I laugh because he's survived. If he hadn't died, it probably wouldn't be so funny. Or if he had died, he probably wouldn't be so funny. Uh, so they took him to a place called the Eisenhower Health Center in La Quinta. <clears throat> okay, first of all, you shouldn't live in a town that's named after a motel. But anyway, although I've had some good times. In La- anyway, uh, they sent him home the next day, Cheryl says, that he couldn't stand up. He couldn't go to the bathroom. They took him back five times, and five times the hospital sent him home. She says, I'm looking at my husband, and he's dying. I couldn't get help. He was like 280 pounds. Man, he's ballooned. She says, I couldn't lift him. He couldn't go to the bathroom. Had the worst bed sores ever. I'm sure he enjoys hearing this. The hospital never checked on him. The last time that he went into that hospital, they dropped him on the ground. Then she starts coming down with pneumonia. All right. Says, I couldn't be sick enough because I had to take care of him. I couldn't taste or smell for four months. But I love this man. Uh, Tommy John was in and out of the Eisenhower there for five weeks. Says he's thankful it wasn't five weeks in one day. I had two huge blood clots in my upper and lower lobes of my lung. Finally, Cheryl texted a man called Dr. Dan Oaks, who's a surgeon friend, and uh, sent all the information to another guy, Dr. Andreas Hendoyen, who's at the Keck Medical Center at Southern Cal. At 3.30 in the morning, Cheryl says, I get a text and a call from Dr. Hendoyen saying, get him out of that hospital. I have an ambulance downstairs. He's going to die. So they transport him to Keck Medical Surgery at 6 a.m. Two uh, half hours later, broke up the two massive blood clots and saved his life. Just because the doctors at one hospital tell you in one thing, this is a lesson. Uh, But then came another curveball. He came down with Guillain-Barre syndrome which comes after the China virus a lot of the times. It affects the nerves. Says he was paralyzed in his legs for almost eight months. Says he's still fighting. He has to have a walker to get around. But he's getting better. He's getting stronger. <clears throat> Says he was in a wheelchair for a few months as well. But guess what? It didn't stop their wedding day. He says, obviously, I couldn't walk. So they put me in the back of our SUV, and I laid down, and Cheryl was standing outside the car, and we were in the parking lot of the county clerk's office. The lady came out and did the vows and married us, and now we're married. Isn't that a great story? And, you know, we didn't even hear about this was going on, that Tommy John was that sick and what was going on. She should have, she should have made a big deal about it sooner. <clears throat> I think a lot of people, especially doctors, would have taken notice uh, if Tommy John was that sick and nothing was getting better. Well, Monday, of course, Memorial Day in the United States, and the country was paying tribute to the fallen veterans. And right after a serious moment in the second inning at Citizens Bank Park in Philadelphia, Nick Castellanos hit a homer, which led to a Burnham-esque bit of commentary from Philly's broadcaster Tom McCarthy. I'm going to do a reenactment here. Here's what Tom did. The gold chair, which will sit vacant here at Citizens Bank Park, honoring those who paid the ultimate sacrifice Back crack in the background. Castellanos rips one to deep left field. It is gone. Solo home run for Castellanos. This is at least the fourth time Castellanos has interrupted a very serious moment with a hit. Happened back in August of 2020. Tom Brenneman was apologizing for saying a homophobic slur on the air. It happened in July of 2021 when the Royals broadcasters were eulogizing a World War II veteran. It also happened in spring training this March when Blue Jays analyst Buck Martinez was reading an apology from Blue Jays pitching coach Pete Walker for his DUI. The moral of the story, don't talk about serious stuff when Nick Castellanos is hitting. (laughs) He's talking about Memorial Day. (laughs) This uh, honoring those who paid the ultimate sacrifice. Bat crack. Castellanos hits on. 
Anyway, go back. It's, it's on the internet. You can go listen to it. It's pretty damn funny. Uh, let's see. I think awfulannouncing.com has a, has a bunch of them. Uh, college football news again from Adam Spencer of Saturday Down South reporting that Cameron Kinney uh, came to Georgia as a three-star defensive lineman in the class of 2020, but he quickly switched to offensive line when he got to Athens. Over the last two years, he has not even been in the game. So a month ago, he entered the transfer portal, and now he has chosen a new school. He is going to Central Florida. By the way, uh, NIL transfer portal is two of the big things they're going to be talking about at SEC uh, spring meetings down there in Destin. A former Virginia Tech football player I told you about uh, has been found not guilty of beating a man to death after claiming the tender hookup had lied about being a woman after performing oral sex on him and probably lied to him before and during. After a three-day trial up in Montgomery County Circuit Court in Virginia, the jury took just three hours before finding Isamiman Etute, who's 19 years old, not guilty of second-degree murder and the death last year of Jerry Smith, 40-year-olds of Blacksburg. Uh, Etute said he believed he was receiving oral sex from a woman named Angie, but it was actually Smith. Said Smith paid him $50 and that he later returned to... So, so you're a whore as well as a football player. And then he later returned to the man's apartment to find out if Smith really was a woman. Because he's probably getting back in his car and he's thinking, wait a minute. And when he discovered Smith's identity, he became enraged. In his testimony, he said he thought Smith was reaching for a gun, and so he punched him five times and kicked him to give him a chance to escape the apartment. Police reported finding a knife under Smith's mattress, but Prosecutor Patrick Jensen said that Smith was in no position to reach it, saying Etute heard bubbling and gurgling coming from Smith, but did not call the police. (laughs) Okay. So the question is, do the Hokies let him play? Do you let him back on your team? That's an interesting one. We'll look forward to seeing him on the field, maybe. <clears throat> okay. And that story kind of choked me up, kind of like Mr. Smith. <clears throat> Ooh. NFL news. Uh, Arizona Cardinals cornerback Jeff Gladney was killed in a car accident early Monday morning. I paused to look around to see if Nick Castellanos is going to hit a home run. Anyway, the Cardinals released a statement uh, yesterday afternoon confirming Gladney's death. We are devastated to learn of Jeff Gladney's passing. Our hearts go out to his family, friends, and all who are mourning this tremendous loss. The crash took place around 2.28 uh, Monday morning, according to the Dallas County Sheriff's Department. A vehicle was overturned when officers arrived. Uh, Fire rescue confirmed that two people, a male and a female, were dead. Uh, The crash involved two vehicles. Uh, The one I think that they were in was speeding and clipped the vehicle in front of it losing control before hitting a beam on Woodall Rogers Freeway and Dallas. The two people in the other vehicle were not injured. The 25-year-old Gladney had signed with the cards back in March after a jury found him, excuse me, not guilty on a felony assault charge. He was a first-round pick out of Texas Christian in 2020 by the Vikings, who released him last August after he was indicted on that uh, assault uh, charge on his former girlfriend. Uh, Arizona signed Gladney to a two-year contract. He was set to compete for a starting job this offseason. Gladney played 50 games in four seasons for TCU, named first team All-Big 12 in 2019, his senior season. And once again, it's NFL player and a fiery crash that kills people. NBA news. Congrats to former Hawk Al Horford, who is finally going to an NBA final as the Celtics will lose to the Warriors in five games. Uh, They're arguing on ESPN as to who is the better player, Steph Curry or Kevin Durant. Let's put it this way. 
If I had to choose, I'd choose the guy who wins multiple titles. That would be Mr. Curry. Of course, Durant, I think, has two, but Curry has one more. In fact, in Pete's tweets coming up, this is what's known in the business as a tease, uh, I'll tell you a little bit of a comparison between Durant and Curry and why I would pick Curry over him. College baseball, ESPN Arkansas radio host Derek Ruskin finds himself in hot water. I don't know why, following some harsh comments he made about a Razorbacks baseball player on Friday. Arkansas put together a pretty good season. They were 38-18, but ended on a slide and bottomed out in the SEC baseball tournament, losing both games. So the Hogs will not be hosting a regional in this uh basically as they try and get to the uh, College World Series. They're still in it, but they're not going to host a regional. So before that announcement, tensions were running high amongst those who cover Arizona, sorry, Arkansas baseball. This better be important, phone. It's not, so I'm turning you off. I'm turning you off. I'm crushing your head. Anyway, Ruskin, who uh, works for, I guess, ESPN Arkansas or whatever, was discussing the team's late-season struggles during Friday's show, and he played a, a clip of catcher Michael Turner explaining how the team is dealing with the fallout of the recent slide. Before playing the clip, Ruskin set the tone by letting his audience know that Turner, a recent transfer from Kent State, is a, quote, stupid ass, end quote. And he went on to say, I'll say it, and I wouldn't say this about a young player, Michael Turner, he's a fifth-year guy from Kent State. He's a stupid ass, the catcher for the Arkansas Razorbacks. That's what Ruskin said. He then played Turner's comments in which he said that Arkansas is trying to keep the circle tight and cut out a lot of the outside noise, which isn't easy to play here. There's a lot of people that are fans. Some are good fans. Some are not good fans. And if you read Twitter after the game, it can get your mind a little bit. So we're just trying to keep the circle tight and keep moving forward. That did not sit well with Ruskin, who launched into a screed about the catcher who played 53 games for the Hogs this season. First of all, you're not a Razorback. You're a rental player and sucked. So thanks for nothing. Secondly, as a rental player, you do not get to come in here and criticize this fan base. You stupid ass. Not a chance. The question was about the entire team, and you used the entire answer to take a swing at this fan base. You're a disgrace, Michael Turner. You're a disgrace. You should not get to wear that uniform again. What a loser. You know why they're losing? Because you're a loser, and you're the catcher. You're in charge of this whole thing on the infield. You're a loser and a disgrace, and you can't get out of this program soon enough. Think about that while I take a sip here. <clears throat> I agree with everything you just said. But I think you can't say that on the air. But Taylor's crime may have been being a bit too honest. Uh, Twitter does indeed suck, and some fans most certainly suck too. But the reaction by Ruskin to call him a loser and a disgrace because the team lost a couple of games is a bit much, according to some, because he's a college athlete. Uh, he's just a kid. Uh, the, <clears throat> the radio host will get a chance to listen and learn as he's taking time away from his afternoon role on ESPN Arkansas stations. Uh, that's a statement released by ESPN Arkansas market manager Tommy Kraft. I never trust a market manager. Ruskin's comments during Friday's show <clears throat> concerning Michael Turner went too far and did not meet our company's standard for quality content. We will further deal with this matter internally moving forward. Mm-hmm. Okay, but let me tell you, as someone who spent a lot of time in Arkansas as a youth, Mr. Ruskin is a hero amongst Razorback fans for standing up for a state and fan base that is constantly mocked around the country. Good for him. 
If these college athletes want to be big boys and make big money with the NIL and transfer portals from school to school to better their positions, as adults will do, then put on your big boy pants and get ready to take criticism like you're an adult. I'm tired already of hearing about these poor kids like they're innocent five-year-old babes lost in the woods of big-time collegiate sports. Once again, that's my opinion. We welcome yours. Seriously, you're adults. You're in college. You're 18-year-old. You fight for and die for your country. You should be able to go buy a beer, even though you can't handle it, because we couldn't handle it when we were 18, but we did anyway. I, I'm just tired of hearing about their, oh, they're just a bunch of you know, poor little innocent kids. This guy's a fifth-year senior. He's in his 20s now. Please. He knew what he was saying when he was running his mouth, and he's running his mouth about a place he doesn't know anything about. Carpetbagging son of a... So I agree with Ruskin. Good for him. On this day, May 31st, 1859, Philadelphia A's organized to play town ball, which became baseball 20 years later. 1919, Indianapolis 500, Howdy Wilcox. What a name. Howdy Wilcox, accompanied by a riding mechanic. They, the man, mechanics used to ride with them, so they'd fix it. If it broke down, they'd fix it on the track. The guy was named Leo Banks. Uh, they win the race, but driver Arthur Thurman died in a crash on lap 45. And on lap 96, Louis Lecoq, <laughs> L-E-C-O-C-Q, Lecoq, and riding mechanic Robert Bandini, nice Irish kid, wrecked in turn two, and both of the men burned to death. I tell you what, it used. To, did you see the wrecks they had Sunday on the Indianapolis 500? I don't know how those men survive, but that little cockpit they're in is like the safest place in the world when something bad happens. You know, everybody should have one of those in their like house. So when a, a twister comes through, just get into the F1 cockpit car, the Indy car cockpit, and you'll be safe. You'll just you'll bounce around the fields a little bit, but you should be fine. Burn to death. Yeah. Uh, 1920 at the Indy 500, French driver Gaston Chevrolet, accompanied by riding mechanic John Bresnahan, won the race without a single tire change, which is pretty remarkable for 1920. 1930, British Amateur Championship Men's Golf, St. Andrews, Bobby Jones scores a 7-6 win over Englishman Roger Weathered for the first leg of his Grand Slam. I guess you say he rogered him. 1937, Indianapolis 500, Wilbur Shaw and his riding mechanic, don't get mad at me, Jigger Johnson, that's with a J, win the race, uh, let's see, at 2.1 seconds between him and second place. That was the closest finish to that point. Johnson is the last winning riding mechanic. Hmm. Uh, let's see, 1987, Saul Ballesteros uh, drives, not Seve, Saul Ballesteros, drives three golf balls off Mount McKinley, Alaska, Unfortunately, killing three Inuit tribal elders having lunch. So that's not good. Birthdays, May 31st, 1937. Bob Ferry, uh, basketball forward of the St. Louis Hawks, uh, the Pistons, and the Baltimore Bullets. He was also executive with the Washington Bullets, executive of the year in 79 and 82. Born in St. Louis, died last year. 1942, a guy I always forget. When I talk about the great L.A. teams, Jerry West and Wilt, uh, uh, Kareem, and before that, Wilt Chamberlain, and uh, Elgin Baylor, and Gail Goodrich. I always forget about Happy Hairston. Uh, played for Cincinnati, Detroit, L.A., born in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. 1943, Joe Namath, Hall of Fame quarterback, Super Bowl 69 winner, also the MVP that year, a pro bowler as well for the New York Jets, born in Beaver Falls, Pennsylvania. <laughs> 
1955, Laura Ball. Look her up. American golfer, writer, broadcaster. She was the LPGA Tour Rookie of the Year in 1973, was born in Gainesville, Florida. Laura Ball changed the face of LPGA. She was one of the first that looked like a woman. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. She, Laura Ball was one of the first women on the LPGA Tour that didn't look like she could beat the hell out of you in a bar brawl. Okay? She was cute and perky and blonde. She was like JoJo Starbuck, the ice skater, who used to be married to Terry Bradshaw. So Laura Ball was cute as a button and probably still is. Go look her up. And that pissed off a lot of people in the tour, LPGA, because they thought she was just, she wasn't that good of a golfer, and she was. But they were upset because she was basically modeling and getting all these TV things and all this stuff and these commercials, and they're going, she shouldn't just get it on her looks. Well, I'm sorry, but the world was about to change. And Laura Ball helped bring about that change uh, where the, um, they used uh, pretty women in the LPGA Tour. And she was at the forefront of that. And not all her fault. She you know, couldn't help but be good looking and play golf. Uh, 1957, and we're still hearing that, that, that Paige Spiranak, who isn't as near as good a golfer, I think, as Laura Ball was. But Paige Spiranak uses her body to... Uh, make her money not in a bad way she just takes pictures and you know outfits that make her look good while she's playing golf and she makes no bones about it uh i mean she's not whoring herself or anything she's just using what she's got uh 1957 jim craig hockey goaltender olympic gold for the u.s in 1980 born in northeastern massachusetts and i remember when he came and played for the atlanta flames and uh, I think he won his first game or something, and he's, he's skating around, and his dad was in the stands, and it was just fantastic. Uh, unfortunately, he had issues uh, with the bottle, I believe, and, uh, and has come back, come out of it on the right side. And uh, Jim Craig, uh, boy, it was great when they beat the Russians. 1967, here's a guy who screwed up. Kenny Lofton, outfielder for the Indians, should be in the Hall of Fame, played for the Braves too, born in East Chicago, Indiana. This guy should have been in the Hall of Fame. And for some reason, I don't know what happened, whether it was attitude or, or injuries or what, when he got traded, first of all, Cleveland got so tired of him, they traded him to the Braves, who had just beaten them in the World Series a year or two before. And then he basically didn't want to play for Bobby Cox. Who doesn't want to play for Bobby Cox? He was a malcontent while he was here. And you talk about the most exciting player in baseball. On that game six in 95, when he was the first batter up, I, I was thinking, I said to my date, Tissy, I said, if, if he gets on base, they're going to tie the ball game. It's going to be 1-1. That's how good he was. You could not stop him. And he, I think he fouled out to the shortstop and foul ground. And I remember just a sigh of relief. We may actually win this thing. Uh, 1972, Dave Roberts, baseball player and manager of the Dodgers, led the great uh, comeback in 2004 for the Red Sox by stealing that base in Game 4 when they were down three games to none to the Yankees. He's now the manager of the Dodgers. Was born in Naha, Japan, so he's Japanese. 1976, Matt Harpering, basketball player, mainly with the Jazz in Utah, uh, born in Cincinnati, uh, played at Georgia Tech. 1981, Jake Peavy, baseball player for several teams, including the Giants, born in Mobile, Alabama. In 1984, Nate Robinson was born, basketball player, the first three-time slam dunk champion born in Seattle. Unfortunately, we had some dead people on May 31st. In 1955, Bill Vukovic, 
auto racer, won the Indianapolis 500 in 1953 and four, uh, died in a crash at the 500. He was just 36 years old. 1970, Terry Salchuk, Canadian Hockey Hall of Fame goaltender, four-time Vezina Trophy and Stanley Cup winner, died from liver injuries. He was 40. I should have looked more into that. Liver injuries. Hmm. 1983, Jack Dempsey, American boxer, world heavyweight champion from 1919 to 26, died at the age of 80, excuse me, 86 of heart failure. Uh, 2011, one of the great names of the old NFL, Andy Robostelli, defensive end for the LA Rams and the Giants, dies at 85. In 2020, we lost Bob Bennett, uh, college Baseball Hall of Fame coach at Fresno State from 1970 to 2002, 32 years. He won 1,302 games, lost 759, and tied four, dead at the age of 86. Uh, 2021, Leon Burtnett, uh, American college football coach at Purdue from 1982 to 86. He was the Big Ten Coach of the Year in 84, dead at the age of 78. And last year, we lost Mike Marshall, one of my uh, heroes as a kid, uh, baseball pitcher, an all-star in the 70s, uh, Cy Young Award winner in the National League in 74, played for the Expos and the Dodgers and the Braves, dead at the age of 78. Somebody did a story, it may have been Sports Illustrated, how he was down in Florida and still teaching people. And, of course, in the 70s, he was setting records for pitching in over 100 games. He had studied kinesiology, the study of muscles and stuff at Michigan State, I believe, and had a degree and there, at the time, I think Jim Bouton wrote about him in Ball Four, that at the time, smart guys in baseball were looked down upon and no one was paying attention to him, but he was way ahead of his time. And he was still teaching people down there in Florida when he uh, passed away. I wish I'd been able to talk to him. I didn't think too much about it at the time. I should have looked him up and talked to him because I had so many questions I wanted to ask him. Anyway, time for Pete's tweets. Uh, November election 2024 put out a Twitter poll saying uh, Giants manager Gabe Kapler will no longer come out for the national anthem. Do you support the decision? 70 to 30, no. Thank you very much. Uh, the Braves' homegrown players. They brought Michael Harris II up from, from AA. I don't like that. It smacks of desperation, just like bringing Acuna back too soon. Uh, I don't like bringing a player up before they hit AAA. Why? Because I think they need to face some failures at AAA. Because when you have a Michael Harris who succeeds at every level and he's killing it, he's not had to really face any adversity or pitchers and teams figuring him out. So he has to adjust himself, which you get more in AAA than you do AA, single A, whatever. Michael Harris II is just blowing right through those things. I wish they had sent him up to Gwinnett first. And I know they need him run stuff like that, but uh, – I, don't, I hope they don't ruin them. I'm going to give you a list later on of the players. The Braves have done this <clears throat> and done this too, and it's not all um, a celebration. There's some players who can handle it and others who don't. I think there's some players who get hurt by not facing adversity of AAA and not getting a little more under their belt. And uh, they get to the big leagues and they get frustrated when they don't, they're not hitting the same as they did in AA, and I think it warps them. But right now, homegrown players, let's talk about that. The youngest Georgia-born players to debut for the Braves, and it looks like uh, Michael Harris II is the winner at 21 years, 82 days. Brian McCann was 20, 21 years, 110 days old. Jeff Rancourt, 21 years, 180 days. And Cal Davies was 21 years, 258 days. Well, of those four, only one really had a great career, Brian McCann. 
Frank Kerr was a flash in the pan. Kyle Davies, I don't even know where he is now. Uh, he did okay for a little bit there. So we'll see what happens with Michael Harris. Uh, Marcelo Zuna has been hitting some home runs lately. In fact, he's hitting long ones. The Braves' longest home run this season. He hit it over the weekend here in Atlanta. 458 feet, uh, which is eight feet more than Ronald Acuna Jr. did back in uh, May 6th. Let's see. Uh, Baseball and picks honored uh, players who were killed in action. Eddie Grant, not the singer, but the baseball player, was killed by an exploding shell during the Meuse-Argonne Offensive, October 5th, 1918, World War I. Uh, Fox Sports MLB has their power rankings out. Number 10, the Angels. Then you have Tampa, Minnesota, uh, Blue Jays, Brewers at number five, the Astros. Number four, Padres. Then the Mets, the Yankees, and number one, the Dodgers. I don't see any Braves there. I do not. That's, okay, I'm going to say it. All right, here's the uh, comparison between Steph Curry and Kevin Durant, according to ESPN. All-time best career accolades. NBA titles, Durant two, Curry three. About to have four, in my opinion. Final MVPs, Durant has two, Curry none. He should have had one. Iguodala got it, not him. Should have shared it. Regular season MVPs, Durant 1, Curry 2. Scoring titles, Durant 4, Curry 2. I'm still picking Steph Curry because, he's to me, he's more of a winner. Uh, John Thorne, the baseball historian, uh, said, On this day in 1889, more than 2,000 people perished when a dam broke and sent water rushing through Johnstown, Pennsylvania. If you not studied this, I don't, they made a movie of it. I don't know why Steven Spielberg doesn't make a modern-day movie with the CGI they have now. The stories, there's a book by McCullough, David McCullough, I believe, called The Johnstown Flood. Great, easy read. It's fascinating why it broke. There's a bunch of rich people, the Astors, the Carnegies and stuff, had built this hunting lodge, and they wanted their own little lake and everything up there, and they, had told, they were told the dam was not safe. And it finally broke, and it killed 2,000 people in the working town below. Uh, it's, just, it's an amazing story, but the story of survival, the story. One story had a guy, he left his office. It was a second floor, a third floor window, a lawyer of some sort. Left his office, walked home for lunch, I think. The flood hit, destroyed his house, picked him up, carried him back into town, and deposited him back through his office window in his own office it's just the stories were incredible of what and and the whole town got crushed up against a bridge and then and then despite it being waterlogged caught on fire it was hell on earth is what the place was two thousand people dying that was a lot uh back then and johnstown the reason by the way it's a great book the johnstown flood um on this day in 1889 uh, one of the dead was thought to have been Joe Borden. Fortunately, he was not there at the time, but they thought at first he was dead. And on July 28th of 1875, 14 years earlier, he had pitched the first no-hitter in, uh, let's see, professional baseball. But by mid-1876, he was still under contract, but he had been reduced to taking tickets at the gate. He had blown his arm out, probably. He was known as Josephus the Phenomenal. He later would die in 1929, so he did not die in the Johnstown uh, flood. 
Interesting. All right, this date in baseball history, May 31st of 1869, the first rainout involving a pro baseball team. Uh, heavy rain postpones the Red Stockings game against the Antioch Nine from Yellow Springs, Ohio. They were a college team. Huh. Let's see. May 31st, 1914, at Comiskey Park, three fourth-inning White Sox errors ruined the shutout, but Joseph Benz still no-hits the Naps, later the Indians, 6-1. to one. It will take the right-hander only one hour and 45 minutes to do it. He was known as Blitzen, like the reindeer. 1927, although it will be another 42 years before the next one, an unassisted triple play is made for the second straight day in the major leagues. Let's see. John Nguyen uh, does it in the ninth inning, saves the Tigers a 1-0 victory. The first baseman catches Homer Suma's line drive, tags Charlie Jameson, the runner on first, and then beats Glenn Myatt to second base, making it the first time the last three outs of a game result from a solo triple killing. And it would take 42 years before it happens again. 1937, game one of a Memorial Day doubleheader. Carl Hubble's consecutive game winning streak uh, over two seasons ends at 24 when the Dodgers uh, beat the Giants at the Polo Grounds, 10-3. King Carl is honored between games when Babe Ruth presents the lefty with the 1936 National League MVP award. Hmm. That's nice of him. Uh, 1948, Tommy Lasorda later known as the Dodgers Hall of Fame skipper, strikes out 25 batters and gets the game-winning hit when the Schenectady Blue Jays beat the Amsterdam Rugmakers 6-5 in 15 innings. The promising southpaw that goes the distance in the Can-Am minor league contest believes he probably threw, get this, more than 300 pitches during the game. Mm. Uh, May 31st, 1949, Charlie Lupica announces from a 20-foot platform atop a flagpole that I'm going to stay here until the Indians are eliminated from the race or win another pennant, which they've done the year before when they beat the Boston Braves in the World Series. Although the local grocery store owner abandons his post in late September when the tribe are in fourth place, Indians owner Bill Vec will reward the loyal fan with a souvenir 50-foot flagpole and a brand-new car. 1961, Carol Hardy Batting for Carl Yastrzemski, bunts for a single in the eighth inning of Boston's loss to the Yankees. The Red Sox outfielder, Hardy, will be the only player to ever pinch hit for both Captain Carl and Ted Williams. I thought Captain Carl was on the Pee Wee Herman show. That was Lawrence Fishburne's first big role, by the way. 1964, in the cap of a doubleheader at Shea Stadium, Gaylord Perry pitches 10 extra inning frames in relief and got the win when the Giants beat the Mets, the longest game ever played to a decision in baseball history. It ended 8-6. The future Hall of Famer reportedly threw his first spitball in a major league game during the 23-inning, 7-hour, and 23-minute marathon. 1968, Don Drysdale's shutout streak stays intact when home plate umpire Harry Wendelstadt rules that Dick Dietz, hit by a pitch, did not attempt to get out of the way of the right-hander's delivery with the bases loaded in the ninth. The Giants catcher finishes the at-bat by popping up, and the next two batters also make outs to give Big D his fifth straight shutout, tying a major league record established by White Sox hurler Doc White in 1904. I think Don Drysdale got a little help there. Meanwhile, Dick Dietz will always be a special player in my lore. Raisin Bran, I forget if it was Post or Kellogg's version, used to put uh, baseball cards 
And they were not just baseball cards. They were 3D baseball cards. They really weren't, but they kind of were. You would take the card, and if you moved it back and forth, it looked like the player was moving in there. It was, pretty, it was damn cool for the 1970s. Come on. And the one I, I think I've got it somewhere, hopefully packed up somewhere, is my Dick Dietz for the San Francisco Giants catcher 3D card. So I, I hope I still have that. Anyway, May 31st of 1976, in his final start, after basically forcing the Twins to trade him, Burt Blylevin is serenaded by the fans with a bye-bye Blylevin chant. The unpopular right-hander will be reacquired by Minnesota in 1985, helping them win a World Series two seasons later before becoming a very popular broadcaster after he retires. One of my favorite pictures, that curveball was amazing. 12 to 6. 1976, the same day, after an error sets up a six run rally for the Padres in the eighth, Ted Turner, the new Braves owner, invites the 2,994 fans watching the game uh, to come back the next night as his guests. The Braves lost the game, by the way. Uh, 1997, Ella Borders became the first woman to play in a minor league game. The St. Saint Paul Saints reliever gives up three runs to Sioux Falls without recording an out but redeems herself the next day by striking out the side. 1999. After consulting a TV monitor in the dugout, Frank Pulley becomes the first ump to use instant replay to make a call, changing Cliff Floyd's fifth-inning home run to a ground rules double and the Marlins' loss to the Cardinals. After the contest uh, down in Miami, the National League officials clearly state that using technology to reverse the call should not have happened. And now, of course, it happens all the time. May 31, 2001. For the first time in over a year since Pedro Martinez scoffed at the curse, the Red Sox finally beat the Yanks in their eighth attempt. The right-hander was 7-1 when he said, Wake up the damn Bambino and have me face him. Maybe I'll drill him in the ass. But after the comment, he makes seven winless starts, marking the first time he did not earn a win in seven starts since his first seven major league appearances as a rookie. <laughs> uh, th- then at one point he says, You know, the Yankees are my daddy. 2004, sister Susanna Helms wins $10,000 from WLW when Barry Larkin and Sean Casey hit back-to-back homers in Cincinnati's win over the Marlins down at Pro Player Stadium. The nun will donate the cash she won in the Reds' radio promotion when the team hit back-to-back homers uh, to the Sisters of St. Francis in Oldenburg, Indiana to help the order meet expenses. 2006, after the Royals get off to a slow start, or Royals, the team replaces general manager Allard Bard with former Braves assistant Dayton Moore. During his seven years as GM, the club goes 381 and 570. I'm sorry, during Baird's run, uh, they won 381 games and lost over 500, had just one winning season. Dayton Moore brought them two straight World Series uh, appearances and winning one. And in 2008, May 31st, in front of many visiting Red Sox fans at Camden Yards, Manny Ramirez becomes the 24th and 12th youngest major leaguer to hit 500 career homers. The historic ball, thrown in the seventh inning by Orioles right-hander Chad Bradford, a he of Moneyball fame, is caught in the stands by Damon Wu, who presents the Boston Slugger with a ball after the game. And, of course, when Manny sees him walking up with the ball, he goes, Woo! Sorry. Uh, thanks to the New York Post and ESPN, Saturday Down South, AwfulAnnouncing.com, and everybody else who helped me out while I was doing this. Appreciate that. Bring, I think they brought the crawlers today. All right, what do we got here? Let's uh, check on Twitter. See if we got anything interesting going on. Come on. All right. 
Not seeing a lot jumping out here. It is early Tuesday morning. People are not... No, 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 <laughs> no. Not that either. No. Okay, let's go to... Um, the Destin meetings haven't started, so no... I guess they haven't started, so no uh, punches have been thrown as of yet. So I may have something. In fact, uh, I guess I'm doing another show tomorrow. Didn't I promise you do one tomorrow too? So no rest for the uh, wicked uh, since we took yesterday off. All oh, that uh, trans swimmer Leah Thomas says, I didn't transition to gain an advantage. Oh, shit. Going through here. Ah, that's it. Anyway, everybody have a great uh, Tuesday. God, did I call it Monday earlier? No, it's Tuesday. And uh, hopefully I'll be back tomorrow with another one. Uh, stay safe in the meanwhile and drink up, Shriners. Oh, yeah. Uh, farmhouseprintingco.com for all your T-shirt needs.